was before me. The defender behind, defender behind me. I won't fear. I'm filled with anointing. Oh, well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome to you all. Glad to have you with us here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us worshiping the Lord together. I want to start us off with a little bit of scripture uh, to get us thinking towards our worship time together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what it says here. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Just stop for a second and let that sentence sink in just for a moment. The reason Jesus Christ, the Son of God, appeared on earth was to destroy the works of Satan. How did he do that? We did that through his sacrificial death on the cross. And and if you were to read... The larger passage there, I just want to read it to you very quickly, 8 through 10. It talks specifically about the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy. Verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning, because he has been born of God. But by this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Jesus Christ came to destroy the sinful works of Satan that manifest out in our lives. And I want you to know today that whatever sin has gripped your heart, whatever sin feels like it's so hard to stop, whatever sin has become just so habitually ingrained in your life, it feels like you can never let go, Jesus Christ came to destroy that also. The question for us today is, will you see Christ as that sacrifice? Will you see Christ as the destroyer of all that is wicked in this world? And will you turn to him, letting him cleanse you, letting him purify you, letting him make you new? I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me as we 
begin here in just a moment worshiping together. I want you to just, don't even think about whatever sin is in your life, all right? The point isn't to think about the sin. The point is to think about Jesus. Jesus came to destroy the sin. So focus your heart right now on Christ. Jesus Christ came to set you free and make you new. Jesus Christ came to take away the wrath of God that is on us because of our sin and to make us sons and daughters of God. Jesus Christ came to take away those sinful desires and to implant in us godly desires. Jesus came to do that. Look to Jesus and let him accomplish and finish his good and perfect work. He came to destroy the work of Satan that has been manifesting out in our lives. Let him do that. Let him do that in you today. Jesus, I pray for us, your people, God, that we would see it is not your desire that we just keep on living lives of sin because, hey, no one's perfect, right? No, your desire is that we would be made new in Christ and see the full and complete and finished work of Christ to destroy the work of Satan, plant in us the Spirit of God, and bear out fruits of righteousness now. So I pray, God, that you would do that in us as we sing, as we worship, as we hear your word. I pray, God, that we would be stirred up, Jesus, with who you are, drawn to you, and submitting our lives to you, allowing you to finish your good work, making us new. Thank you, Jesus. Do your work in us today for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship Christ. Church, let's sing of the righteousness of Christ today. He is worthy.
morning. This is my God story of how God uh, took my heart from God fearing to God loving. So my whole life, uh, I was kind of uh, overachiever. I did really well, uh, did everything to the best. I mean, just top, just always, always doing really well. Um, great, per just great at performing in life. And, uh, and I was made a profession of faith when I was 12 years old. And so I applied that same kind of worldly mindset to my Christian life. And so 
I thought, well, I can be the best Christian. I can know the Bible the best and, and do all the things and check all the boxes. And uh, what that did was produce just a lot of legalism in my heart and not a lot of joy. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, but about five or six years ago, uh, I was listening to a sermon and, and it was about love. And I knew that there were um, places in my heart that I that, that the love wasn't pure, the love wasn't genuine. And I knew that um, either I was gonna double down and produce love in me or, or God was gonna have to do this in me. And I realized then I can't perform the Christian life. I just can't. And I looked around and if I was really honest, I, I just didn't have any power. There was no power to pray. There was no power to love God. There was no power to worship. There was no, I was doing these things. I mean, I was a pastor's wife. I was technically living this Christian life. But if I was really honest, I didn't love God the way that the scriptures talk about loving him with all your heart and loving him with all your strength and loving him with all your mind. I really feared um, being a disappointment. I really feared um, not being the best. And it was then that the Lord opened my heart and opened my eyes to what genuine saving faith is. And so um, there became this change in my relationship with him in that I realized he wasn't like looking for an employee to do things for him. He just wanted a daughter to love him. And that literally changed my life. Um, I began to just love God. He came for me in such a fast and furious way. He opened my heart. He opened my eyes to the scriptures. Um, I, instead of uh, missing a quiet time and feeling really condemned and bad about it, I'd miss a quiet time and I'd long for him, like I'd want him. And so it went, it just became this love relationship. And, and then this was so profound. This genuinely changed my life. There was one day I was, I was in particular, I was struggling with a sin. I was really angry about something and I went upstairs and I kind of sat down. I was like, God, tell me, like, just talk to me. Tell me why I'm so angry. And I'll never forget. It was just as clear. It wasn't audible, but he, the Holy Spirit just spoke right into my heart. And he said, I'll never, I'll never talk to you about your sin. I'm only going to talk to you about your righteousness and who you are as my daughter. And literally instead of calling me out I just had the sense of him kind of calling me up he's just always calling us up um, to who he is and making us and conforming us more into the image of Christ and that kind of love just it just wrecks you it changes you and it produces joy and instead of having to <clears throat> work on joy it was just the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and he's joyful and he's gonna make me joyful and um, and literally my my whole Christian walk it's changed the way I see things it's changed the way I see people it's changed the way I read the scriptures it changes the way I pray there's power in the Holy Spirit now um, and and I wish I could give you a formula there's no formula for this like there's no there's no formula there's no step by step process to do this I just knew that when Jesus said in John 10, I came to give you abundant life, I wanted that abundant life. I wanted to know what that was. 
um, more than going to church, more than just being in a Bible study. I wanted to know what abundant life in Christ was. And I wanted that more than I wanted anything. And he, he so overwhelmed and exceeded my expectations of what that was. Um, and not that I have a perfect life now, but boy, it is, it is different. It is totally different. So uh, this is how I went from God fearing to God loving and, and walking in love, a genuine love relationship with my father. My name is Marie Lynch and this is my God story. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 28 together, all right? And following in line with what we just saw with Marie's story, I want to set out for us today in this series we're going through called The Story. God has a, God has a role for you in His story. You play a role in the great story of God. There is a place for you in his kingdom, and in this great story that he is unfolding. But in order for you to live out that, you must see him for who he is and the role that he has for you to play. Right? And by the role that he has for you to play, I don't mean the job that you're in or anything like that, but there's a specific role that all of us are called to, and I want to lay that out for us today by God's grace so that you'd see, just like we saw in this story, that you would see your place in the great story of God and how God is unfolding all of this for you. So Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be. I want to read this for us. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, all right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So in all of this, real quick, let me just kind of set the stage. Jesus died, buried, rose again. After he rose from the grave, the two Marys go to the tomb, they, are, they meet an angel, then they meet Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, tell the guys to go to Galilee, I'm going to meet them there, and so Jesus does that, he goes and meets them in Galilee, we're going to see, you see in verses 16 and 17, that uh, they worshipped him, but then some doubted, and so here's what, think about that, sometimes we can kind of, um, you know, we can look at people in the Bible and say, I would never respond like that, well, think about it, right, I mean, they were overwhelmed with joy that Jesus is alive, and at the same time, they're thinking, this is too good to be true, like, what's the catch? So they worshiped him, but they're, they're, they're trying to figure this thing out. And Jesus spends 40 days with them, um, teaching them and fellowshipping with them and encouraging them. And then he ends it all with verses 18, 19, and 20. This is the last thing that Jesus proclaims to them before ascending up into heaven where he is today. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. If you have a Bible, I want you to circle or underline those two words, make disciples. Right? Everything in this passage is built off that phrase there, make disciples disciples. One word in the Greek, matheteo, two words in the English, make disciples. Not only is that passage built off that, but the entire rest of the New Testament is built off that. The only way you understand what happens in the rest of the Bible is if you understand Matthew 28, right? God's command, Jesus' final authoritative command to do this. Not only is this important for understanding the rest of the Bible, 
it helps you understand all of human history. We went from Jesus dying and there being 120 followers. When it was all said and done, all the multitudes, all the healing, it was down to 120 people huddled in a room. And those 120 people are filled with the Spirit of God and take seriously the command of Jesus to go and make disciples. And that's what they go do. And between then and now, we went from 120 people professing Christ to today, roughly 2 billion people professing Christ. Every day, 90,000 new people come to faith in Christ. Every day, 10,000 new people come to faith in Christ in communist China. Every day, 15,000 new people come to faith in Christ in predominantly Muslim India. Every day, 20,000 new people come to faith in Christ on the continent of Africa. It is going and going and going and going. The kingdom of God is expanding and growing. And it is doing so because there are people of God who take seriously Matthew 28. And that's going to be our thrust for today. There is a story that God is unfolding. And you and I have a role to play in that. But it can only be accomplished if... We see, believe, and obey this command of Jesus. Everything, everything hinges off this. You can live a good life and have a good career and have a good family with good kids who do good things. And they go to good colleges and then they get good careers. And then they give you good grandkids, which is way better than the kids. My wife says the only reason she had kids is so that she can one day have grandkids. You can do all of that and not follow Matthew 28. And when it's all said and done, we're going to find out how much of our life burns up as wood, hay, and stubble. Stuff that just didn't really matter. Stuff that at the end of the day gave you a good 80, 90 years on earth. And then what? And and then what? Seeing, believing, and obeying these verses is what determines how effective you and I are in living out the great story of God in our lives and the lives of others. So we're going to break it down to two big ideas, all right? Big idea number one we're going to see is you are called to be a disciple of Jesus. And big idea number two, you are called to make disciples of Jesus. You're to be a disciple and make a disciple. Again, the the main thrust of this verse is make disciples. Disciple, that's the big idea. So you being one and making one is the entirety of your purpose on earth. You exist for one reason. Be a disciple of Jesus and make other disciples of Jesus. That is what you do. Now, you may go tomorrow to your office and be an accountant or a doctor or a teacher or stay-at-home mom or a first sergeant. But your role in the kingdom of God is to be a disciple and make disciples. That is why you exist. That is what you do. And anything short of that will burn up in eternity and end up not not mattering for very much. So how do we do this? Number one, you're called to be a disciple of Jesus. So let's unpack that just for a moment. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus goes up to the seashore. He finds the boys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishing. He goes to them and he says what? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Be my disciple. That is huge. All right, We have to understand this. In the New Testament, the word Christian is only used at most three times, depending on how you translate a word, maybe two, maybe at the most three times. In the entire Bible, you're going to see the word Christian. However, the word disciple is used well over 200 times. This is the primary way God refers to you. You are to be a disciple of Jesus. So he goes to the boys and he says, follow me, be my disciple. So what do they do? They drop everything and follow him. They leave their jobs. They leave their families. They leave their security. They leave their future. They leave everything behind and just Follow Jesus as his disciple. This is what would happen in the New Testament period if someone was a teacher, if someone wanted to be their disciple. They would leave their job and just follow them. In fact, one of the great compliments you could give a disciple was you carry the dust of your master. What that means is um, they followed their teacher so closely, physically listening, learning, watching, matching everything that the teacher does, I want to do. Mimicking everything that happens. That's a disciple, a learner, a follower. I'm seeking to be a carbon copy of my teacher. Whatever my teacher does, I want to do. And you follow so closely that as the teacher is walking, the dust from their sandals flies up all over you. Because you're so close to your teacher. And that's the way God describes being a follower of Christ. You follow Jesus so closely, you smell like the dirt from his sandals. However, 2,000 years later, we've changed some definitions. Now, it is very very easy to just call yourself a Christian, right? I mean, how many of us came up in situations where being a Christian is really easy, right? It's just the ABCs, right? You just know some thoughts, you know some ideas, and you repeat words that a pastor says to you, and boom, you're a Christian, and don't you ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt. Write this date down in the front of your Bible. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. You repeated these words, so boom, you're saved. And my question is going to be, is that true? Is that really true? Because the Bible is going to tell us maybe something that flies in the face of that a little bit. Matthew 7, 21, this is Jesus talking. If you have a red-letter Bible, this is going to be in red for you. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's think just for a second. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that sounds like a sinner's prayer. That sounds like the thing that you repeated after the pastor when you came down front on that Sunday night and grabbed his hand. You said the words. But Jesus himself says, listen, 
Not everyone who does that actually is a follower. Not everyone who does that actually enters the kingdom of heaven. Who does enter the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of my Father. The one who is a disciple. The one who actually follows Jesus. I tell you this all the time. And the reason I do is because I believe this is a hugely significant point for us. I say all the time here. The heaven is not a place for people who just don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who know, love, follow, obey Jesus. And they're not the same thing. Repeating a prayer because you don't want to go to hell does not automatically make you a Christian. Now, you might be a Christian. You may be a passionate follower of Christ after doing that. But listen to me. What determines whether or not you're actually a Christian is, do you follow Jesus? You can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't actually, wait on it, follow Jesus. Our churches are flowing with people who give very, very, very little attention to actually being a part of the body of Christ. You call yourself a Christian, but church and the people of God bore you. And so you pop in once or twice a month. Our churches are filled with people who have constant sin still in their life, and they just don't do the hard work of actually repenting and turning from it. Our churches are filled with people who never pick up God's word. Filled with people who never pray unless it's in front, before a meal or if the junk really hits the fan. People calling themselves Christians whose lives look identical. Identical to the world. Again, a disciple, you are a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is a disciple. You are either a disciple of Jesus or you are a disciple of this world. Look at your life. What does your life look most like? Who do you smell like? Who do you look like? Whose dust is all over you? Jesus or this world? You are a disciple. The question is, who are you really following? I mean, let's be honest. Who are you really following? You know, this world gets goofy. Um, we know now that um, evidently it is scientific fact that you can be a biological male, but say that you're a woman and we all have to say, okay. Um, like, listen, I'm not a doctor. But I don't think you have the plumbing. Okay, I don't think, I don't think... I don't think it's true. But having a conversation, listening, what does that conversation look like? A person who is a biological male says, I am a woman. And you look at that person and you go, yeah, but all of the objective evidence says that you're not. No, 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 I am. What? Because I think feel like I am, and I say that I am, so you have to agree with me that I am, right? And the world looks at that and goes, well, I mean, it'd be rude to tell him no. So, okay, I mean, what's it going to hurt? Call him or her, all right, Bobby, we'll call you Brenda, whatever. 
And we look at that and go, God, that is so stupid. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Truth is this. They just borrowed from the church. We've been doing that whole self-identifying thing for a long time. We got a whole lot of people who self-identify as Christian, despite the fact that you bear no actual objective biblical evidence to support such a statement. No, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah but you don't look like a Christian. No, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, but your, your life doesn't follow Jesus. No, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I say that I am. I repeated a prayer. I feel like a Christian. I've always called myself a Christian. Since I was a little girl, I felt like I was a Christian. Isn't it the exact same conversation? Isn't it the exact same thing? And then just like the world, everyone in church says, my goodness, it would be rude for me to tell them they're not. I mean, it would be wrong of me to look at the ghost and say, yeah, but, but you don't look like one. But they say they feel it. And that's the important thing, right? Jesus says, not everyone who says the prayer gets in. Let's just make it as blatant as possible. Number one, you are called to be an actual disciple follower of Jesus. So my question very simply for you is this. Are you? Again, I am not asking would you call yourself a Christian. I am not asking if you're a member of this church or any other. I am not asking if you got baptized or repeated a prayer. If I had, listen right now, if I had to prove to you that I'm alive right now at this second, I had to prove to you that I am living right now, I would not go dig up my birth certificate and show it to you. I would point to the fact that right now, I'm breathing. So here's what happens in church. Someone starts to get pushed in on that maybe they're not actually a Christian. And what do they do? They go back and find the, the baptism certificate. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. Right here. Kapow. I found it in mom's stuff. I remember. I remember doing this. I am a Christian. No. The evidence that you are a Christian is not that you did a thing 20 years ago. The evidence that you are a Christian is that today... You follow Jesus. Like, I, I want my kids, we've got four kids. Um, we, we span, so my oldest is a senior, she'll be in college next year. So when my oldest goes into college next year, we're going to have one in, high, one in college, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. Which means I'm always tired and always broke. I want my children. To come to faith in Christ at a young age. I want my children at a very young tender age to have the Spirit of God stir their hearts. And they legitimately see their sin. They see how it is an offense to God. And they see that Jesus died as a sacrifice for that. And they ask Jesus to take away their sin. And they commit their little life to be a follower of Jesus. I want that to happen. And that's going to be, uh, as an 8 or 9 year old, it's going to look different than a 29 or 39 year old. But in the best they can, in their little minds, I want them to do that. I want that. I want my kids to come to faith at a young age and live lives of glorify God. I do not want the Lynch children to have good testimonies, right? 
I don't want that. I don't want, you know, Thursday night at summer camp. They're always like, get the lynch kids to tell their testimony. They got a good one. And I don't want that. I want my kids to come to faith at a young age and be set in the ways of the Lord. However, listen to me. The evidence that the Lynch kids are actually Christians is not going to be that when they were eight years old, we led them in a prayer and they got baptized. The evidence that the Lynch kids are actually Christians is when they're 48, they still love Jesus. And the same has got to be true for you. The evidence is not that there was a time you sat in a service and boy, you felt it all in your tummy. Oh, man, it was stirring hard. And your palms were all sweaty. And, it was, and, and, and they sang. You said to yourself, if they sing one more stanza of Amazing Grace, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. And then you know what? That pastor said, you know what? I sense there's someone else. Let's sing it again. <laughs> and you went, oh, my goodness, here it is. Right? You giggle because you've been in that service. I've led that service. Right? So you're like, oh, let's do it. So you come down front, and you're emotional. And I'm not mocking that. That's great. And, and that could be your experience, and you legitimately came to faith in Christ. My point is this. If that was legitimate, you're then going to spend the rest of your life being a devoted disciple of Jesus. And if you don't, that didn't mean squat. It was emotion. It was in the moment. You may have had a twinge of the Spirit of God stirring in you. It may have been legitimately God moving. I'm not saying that it wasn't. But I'm telling you, you didn't submit, you didn't repent, and you didn't commit your life to be a disciple of Jesus, or you would have stayed that path. You were called to be a disciple. Are you? Are you? Not saying perfect, not saying you don't struggle, not saying there aren't issues. I'm not saying any of that. There will be, I promise you, there are in me and there will be in you. The question I'm asking is, it's not do Christians sin or are Christians sinners? The, 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 the issue is, are you a repentant sinner? Right? When there is sin that becomes apparent in your life, do you see that sin as an offense to God? And are you broken over that? And you see the fact that Jesus saved you from more and that you're a child of God and that you don't need to be living in this slop. You've got a father king who has a better life for you. Turn from that junk and turn back to Christ. Is that your life? If it's not... 2 Corinthians says you should examine to make sure you're really legitimately in the faith. Are you a disciple? And if you are a disciple, that means, number two, you're then going to make disciples. So, real quick, let's read our passage one more time. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So now, the only verb in that sentence, that verse 19 and 20, in that command of God, the only verb is make disciples. Right? That's the only verb. Everything else, go, baptize, teaching, those are all what's called participles. Let's go to English class real quick. The verb is the direct action. Here's what you are to do. Participles support the verb and explain how that goes about happening. Does that make sense? Right? So make disciples. Think of it like a stool. All right? So you got a, we don't have a stool. So you got a stool. You got a stool with three legs, right? The top part, make disciples, right? That's where you sit your rear end on. That's the big idea, make disciples. And then you got three legs on the bottom that tell you how to do it and support that. Going, baptizing, and teaching. This is the command of Jesus. Make disciples. However, for many of us in church, we hear this as a command of God. We would agree with it as a command of God. We would say amen to it as a command of God. But we don't actually obey it as followers of Jesus. We talk about it more than we do it. Think about tomorrow morning. Let's say I wake up tomorrow morning. About to come into the office, and before I do, I uh, grab my uh, four lunch kids, and I say, all right, here's what I want you to do, guys. Before I come home today, clean your room. Right? I want your room clean. I don't know about you, but then the kids immediately say, my room is clean. Right? And so, what's your, so my response to that is usually, would your mother and I call it clean? And then the response is, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think we have an answer. All right, so before I come home, clean your room. So I come to the office, come home at the end of the day, walk in. They meet me at the door go, Dad, oh, we had the best day. Like, really? Yes. You set us down and you said clean our room. And we heard you and we were stirred. Like, it was awesome. So you know what we did? What? Clean your room? We, we started a study group. And we sat down together, and we sat for hours talking about this command to clean our rooms. And we started debating about what it really meant. One kid said, I think when he says clean our room, we should also clean the kitchen. Another kid says, no, that's legalism. He didn't say that. He just said clean your room. You're adding to the word. We rebuke one another and encourage one another. Okay, and, and, and then you clean your room. No! Then we wrote a manual about how we should go about cleaning the room. Awesome. And then you clean your room. No. Then we went out and told all of our friends about the fact that you told us to clean our room. And, and, then, you, and then you clean your room. No. Then we made t-shirts saying clean your room. Then we wrote songs about how awesome you are and about the fact that you told us to clean our room. It's been such a great day. Well, did you clean your room? Who has time for that? N no. So question. Did they actually obey me? No. They talked about obeying me. They got excited about obeying me. They encouraged one another to obey me. But they never actually did what I told them to do. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to hear me is this. 
That is a little parable on the American church. We talk more about making disciples than we actually make disciples. We say it's a good idea. We say that's great. We say God commanded it. But then we don't actually do it. So let's think about this real quick. Let's think about this command of Jesus to make disciples. I want to, let's break it down like this. So first, go and make disciples, and I want you to see kind of how it works. So, so look at this. What he tells us. One, make disciples. All right, so that's the command. Make disciples. Think of it like a stool, and you've got your three legs underneath, right? So make disciples. That's the command. You have a command of Jesus Christ on your life. How do you find your place in the story of God? By making disciples. This is it. God has not called you to do anything else. Like you can go into this field and that field and do this and do that, and that's great. But in the process of that, make disciples. He tells us how to do it. By going, baptizing, and teaching. So let's chat through that just for a moment. So first when he says go, right? Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Again, that word go is a participle, so it can be translated as, as you are going, make disciples. So as you go through life, your entire life, see yourself as a disciple maker. There are people that you are going to engage with, people you are going to know, people you are going to talk to that you can reach and you can disciple that I never can. People that will listen to you that will never listen to me. You are in the circle that you are in for a God-appointed reason. The book of Acts says that God is the one that determined when and where you would live. He determined the place, the time, the boundaries of your inhabitants. God puts you in that job, in that school, in that unit, in that neighborhood, on that team for a reason. And it's more than just what you think. He's put you there to make disciples of Jesus. You're going, and as you are going, you see all of life, your job, your hobbies, your school, your neighborhood, going to the grocery store as opportunities to make disciples. As you go, do you see all of life as this? We ask that God gives us fresh vision to see all of life as a mission field and all of life as opportunities to make disciples as we go. Doing what? Second, baptizing. We see there again in verse 19. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's going on with baptizing? Um, so baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward truth. right? So we do baptisms um, here. So in baptism, if you've ever been a part of seeing it, someone steps into the water... We dunk them all the way under and all the way back up, right? And that's a picture of two things. One, it's a picture of Jesus dying, being buried, rising again to new life. And it's a picture of you dying to your old life in Christ and rising again to new life in Christ. And as you become a follower of Christ, the very first step of obedience is getting baptized. We believe that is a step of obedience. God calls you to do that as his follower. If you have not done that, Talk to us. We believe that is a step of obedience Christ calls you to. And here's why. It's a picture of salvation. What he's telling us here is this. As you go and make disciples, proclaim to people what true legitimate salvation is. 
Don't sell them this soft stuff that many of us got sold over the last several decades and put us in the spot where I'm having to spend the first 20 minutes explaining to you that that's not Christianity. Don't bring them into that stuff. You tell them first, look, here's what it means to be a Christian. God is holy, and he created you to love him and worship him and serve him and obey him. But you have sinned against him. And as a result, God's wrath and judgment is on you. But Jesus Christ came as your sacrifice to die in your place so that as you repent and turn from that sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your sacrifice, you're taken away from that sin, you're forgiven of that sin, and you're made new in Jesus, baptizing, going all the way down, dying to your old life, repenting, and rising again to a brand new life in Jesus. Are you ready to turn from this whole life, turn from this whole world, turn from everything that you've been chasing, and turn just to Jesus? Are you ready to do that? You present the gospel that way don't soft sell them god's got a great plan for your life just say yes to team jesus don't soft sell them jesus didn't do it that way jesus said count the cost jesus said don't go back home and bury your father either follow me or don't don't go back and plant your field somebody else will take care of that either follow me or don't jesus laid out a a rich wealthy famous man came to Jesus, right? I said, I want to follow you, Jesus. He's moral. He's rich. He's famous. He's got a billion Instagram followers. Do you have any idea what an influence he could be for the kingdom? He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? That's great. Here's what I want you to do. Go home and sell everything that you have. Get rid of all your money, all your fame, all your influence. Delete your Instagram. Then come follow me. And it says the man went away sad because he had so much money. And his disciples went to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, we're never going to be a megachurch if you keep telling people to sell their money. Like, this is not going to work. All these people kept, Jesus fed the thousands, and they came back and said, we want more food. And Jesus said, I got food for you. Eat me. They were like, Jesus, that's not going to go over well. you got to quit doing that. Jesus had no problem looking at people and saying, here's what it really means to be my disciple. Do it or don't. Do it or don't. But here's what that's going to mean. When we seek to make disciples... Do it in a way where you very clearly lay out what is the gospel. You are a rebel against God. You deserve wrath and hell for all of eternity because of it. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to take away that wrath and to make you new. But in order for you to receive that, you have to turn from all of that sin and turn just to Jesus and be his devoted, intimate follower for the rest of your life. Will you do that? Make it clear. And there's the will. Or they won't. And that's not on you. It is not your responsibility to make people agree or to make people follow or to make people come to church with you. That's not on you. It's not on you. And then that brings you to the next point. If they come to faith to Christ in that way, teach them to obey. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That word observe means to obey, to pay close attention to, to to observe intently. 
You teach them to be an obedient follower of Jesus. You don't, again, soft sell this thing. You model for them and teach them and show them, here's how you live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. And when you don't obey and you sin, here's how you confess that sin, repent of that sin, and start following Christ again. You teach them to obey. And then all of this, I love, is built on the authority and the presence of Jesus. It started in verse 18. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And it ends in verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. People don't make disciples. They don't seek to do this because they're afraid. They feel inadequate. I'm not good enough. I got a lot of issues in my own life. I cannot do that. When I When I get it squared away and I get my life fixed up, then maybe I'll do it. And I want to encourage you. The call to make disciples is not based off your awesomeness. It is not based off your ability, your intellect, your talent, your skill set, your ability to speak, your charisma. It's built off the authority and presence of Jesus. Jesus says, I have full authority over all the universe, so go in my name. And not only am I telling you to go, I'm going with you. I love the book of Matthew begins in chapter 1 with Jesus being born, called Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends in Matthew 28, Jesus saying, and I'm going to keep being with you to the end of the age. Jesus is with you, so you go in his authority and in his power. Look, the, the idea is this. God has a better story for you. A better story than, again, just being good and having a good job and going to a good church and trying to act better. God has a better story. And that story involves you being a disciple of Jesus and making a disciple of Jesus. And, And this is amazing. God's plan, it's brilliant. As we seek to do this, as we seek to be disciples and make disciples, God is going to expand his kingdom and expand his kingdom and expand his kingdom. Uh, let's think about it like this. Let's, let's do a math test. What if I said, all right, here are two options. Um, option A is I will give you $10,000 a day for 30 days. Or option B I will give you one penny doubled every day for 30 days. Those are your options. Which one would you like? So if you pick the $10,000 a day option, by the end of week one, you got 70 grand. Right? You can buy a nice car. You're going to go out to the nice, I mean, you're going to be, people are going to think you are rolling. You're going to have 70 grand in one week. If you pick the one penny doubled every day, at the end of one week, you're going to have a dollar and 28 cents. Right? It's going to look like the person who picked the 10 grand is, is going to come out like gangbusters and you're going to not be able to afford a happy meal. But if you keep on going and finish out the 30 days, at the end of 30 days, if you did $10,000 a day, you'll of course will have $300,000. But if you did one penny doubled a day for 30 days, at the end of 30 days, you would have $10,737,418.23. It's the power of multiplication. 
Or think about us as a church. Imagine if we had the perfect church program. And we could add 1,000 people every month to our church. 1,000 people every month. At the end of a year, we'll have 12,000 new people. We would be church rock stars. People would be flying in from all over the world trying to figure out how in the world you did it. This is amazing. 12,000 people in one year. At the end of 30 years, we would have 360,000 people. We'd be the largest church in the world. Wouldn't that be awesome? Versus, though, what if we did this? What if I had one person that I led to Jesus, and I spent an entire year just teaching that one person how to follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, and reach another person to do that? So an entire year, that's all I, one year, all I did was pour into one person. That's it. And then at the end of that year, in year two, I grabbed another person and they grabbed someone. And we spent an entire year just pouring into those two people. And then the next year, we all grabbed another one, right? One year, one person, reach them, call them to genuine faith, disciple them, teach them to obey, and go make another disciple. Spend an entire year on just one person. At the end... Of 30 years, we will have reached somewhere around 1 billion people. Here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he was on to something. It starts small, it starts insignificant, it seems like it's not going to make any difference, but if you give it time and let the Spirit of God work and do it the way God said to do it, eventually it becomes the largest tree that allows all these other birds to rest in as well. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Your role in the kingdom is to be a disciple and make a disciple. So I'm going to ask our band to come up, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And, and I want to end our time together with just one question. Well, two. Question number one, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple? Again, I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer or if you feel like you're a Christian or if you got baptized once or if someone were to ask you to fill out a survey, you would check Christian. I'm not asking you if you even believe that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross and rose again. The book of James tells us that even Satan and his demons know and believe that. I'm asking you, are you an actual disciple of Jesus? We may stumble, we may fall, we may absolute face plant sometimes. But my heart is settled on the fact that I am a devoted disciple of Jesus. And when I fall, I trust the grace of God to empower me to stand back up and keep following Jesus. If you are not a disciple of Jesus today, that's not something that you feel is resonating in your heart. That's not who you are. You take an objective look at your life and see that that is not true. Are you ready to become a disciple? Do you 
you see that your sin is an offense to God and carries the, the wrath and judgment of God. But Jesus Christ came to set you free from that, to make you new, to be your sacrifice, taking the wrath of God for you. He desires to make you new, to take away your sin to fill you with the Spirit, but in order for that to happen, you must repent and turn from that sin and turn just to Jesus and be His disciple. Today, do that. Do that. And for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, are you making a disciple? So here's what I want you to do as we end our time together. I want you to ask God to place in your heart one person. One person. Maybe it's a person in your family, a person you work with, person in your neighborhood. Ask God to bring one person to your mind that you can pray for, that you can seek to share the gospel with. Maybe they're not a Christian. you got to share the gospel with them to see them come to faith in Christ. Maybe they do profess Christ, but they need to grow in the Lord, and you want to rally around them and help them do that. Who's the one person that God is calling you to make a disciple? You are called be a part of the story of God, but that only happens as you live as a disciple of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. So I ask you, God, that you would do this in us. Let us see that we are your disciples. We are called to be followers. We would seek to to do that, to follow you, Jesus, to serve you, Jesus, to love you, Jesus. And lead others to do the same. And trust you that you're going to take care of the results of that. You're going to accomplish your great plan of filling the earth with your people, your disciples for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us today. We pray this in your name. Stand with us and let's celebrate the truth that our God saves.
quick guys as we finish up here and as we as we move forward with um, seeking again to be disciples and make disciples we want to help you do that um, and, and so one if you're a guest with us we'd love to connect with you um, best way you can do that is just to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen. Uh, that's step one for us developing uh, a discipling relationship with you. Ways that we can connect with you and just hear your story and what God's doing in your life and where you come from and how we can pray for you just beginning that. So if you're a guest, we'd love for you to do that. Text in CONNECT so that we can know who you are and 
and begin that process with you. Uh, but for everyone here, I want us to think through, again, our big three announcements, but again, seeing everything in terms of discipleship. Uh, so one is this, our kids. Uh, promotion Sunday is August 21st. We really see our children and youth ministry as a discipling tool. Not to take the responsibility off of parents. You take the first responsibility to disciple your kids, but wait for us to come alongside of you and just assist you in that. So August 21st, all kids will be moving up a grade in our ministry. And so if you have a child a part of our ministry, know that August 21st. If you have a child that's not a part of that, we'd love for them to be plugged in and be a part. Because again, our heart is to see them become devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to help you do that. Uh, for teenagers, if you have a fifth grader coming into sixth grade, I have one of those. So if you have one of those, um, there's going to be a, um, a sixth grade social on August 19th at 6 o'clock. If you have a rising sixth grader and want to be a part of that, you can text the word RISING to our number. That'll get you signed up for that. RISING to 910-424-1298. Get you signed up for that so we can be a part of that. That's a really pivotal time in discipleship. Uh, a child going into that middle school period, I encourage his parents... Let's help one another bridge that gap, all right? So if you have a child going into the sixth grade, let's do that. Help us get plugged in and be a part of that. But again, everyone rises on the 21st. Next, missions, right? Missions is a huge part of what we do, uh, and that's a part of discipleship. Jesus calls us to make disciples. That means we go and serve, right? That's a part of that. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're creating, we're uh, collecting school supplies to be able to help people in our community, to be able to give those supplies to them, to build those relationships, bridging an opportunity for us to share the gospel and develop that relationship with them. Help us do that, all right? You can bring in these school supplies. You can drop them in the buckets as you leave for that. And then third is this, equip classes. So we offer equip classes here. Uh, those are our big discipleship classes. We've got a whole slate coming up for the fall. We've got core Christianity for you to learn the basics of the Christian faith. We've got our new members class for you to learn what it means to be a member here at Southview. That's a huge part of discipleship, church membership. Be a part of that. We've got a class journeying into God's Word. How do you read the Bible to be able to actually glean what God wanted you to glean and obey it? Um, how to experience the Christian life? Um, how do you walk this thing out in a faithful way? Um, uh, how to, um, uh, we're, um, gentle and lowly, uh, a class that teaches how to walk humbly in times of difficulty in life. When you walk through pain and walk through trial, how does God guide you in that? We're going to offer classes on fatherhood, offer classes on marriage, all kinds of opportunities. Text the word EQUIP to 910-424-1298. You'll see the whole list of what we got for the fall. You'll be able to see the times and the places you can connect, click what you would like to be a part of. Equip. This is our way of helping make disciples of you. We want to do this. We believe God's called us to make disciples, to equip you, to build you up in the faith. This is one of the ways that we seek to do that. Be a part of that, all right? Text EQUIP to our number to get the list of all that's going on this fall and sign up. I promise you God will use that to build you as a disciple in His kingdom. And then for everything else, all the other announcements, you can download that app. 
iTunes or Google Play. That's how you stay plugged in and connected to all that's going on. That's how you can give. You can give online or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. Uh, but again, that's a, a part of being a disciple as well. well. I love you guys so much. It's an honor to be a part of this, for us to be together as a group seeking to help one another walk as disciples of Jesus. This is what we're here for. This is what we do. And I love seeing that happen. So let me pray for us, okay? God, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to call us to be your disciple. You are gracious enough to call us to be your disciple. And that you are gracious enough to use us to make disciples. You could have done that in any way you wanted to. You have all authority. You have all power. You didn't need to use us, but you choose to do it that way. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us to walk as your disciple and see other disciples made for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your grace that allows us to be a part of this great story that you're unfolding. I pray that we would take that seriously and walk in that faithfully. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.